and welcome to episode 56 of the Worldwide Chelsea Pod. We've got a very special episode to bring today. We've got a special guest who's coming on to the channel for the first time. It's none other than Miz, the other side of the coin. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, very, very good. Ecstatic with that emphatic victory, four wine. So cannot complain. You know, Thomas Tuchel, he just keeps on producing, keeps on producing. And uh, yeah, the weekend just got better. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's the best, probably the best game to bring you on to. Nice positive game. Obviously, we won midweek as well. Porto will get on that a little bit later. But was was this Crystal Palace result a perfect performance for you? Uh, look, it, it got as perfect as possible. Obviously, the first half for me was near perfect. I've not seen us dominate an opposition like that. Absolutely had our had our feet on their throat and suffocated them for the full, full 45 minutes. Um, and it's quite natural that the team comes back in the second half and, and probably doesn't have that same intensity as the first half because obviously we've, we are playing every, every two to three days. But the day when we can produce that 45 minutes for the entire 90 minutes, and I'm pretty sure we will, and Thomas Tuchel will, will, will be working on that particular target, I think that's when we can say it would be a perfect, perfect um, match. But this was near perfect, to be honest. I'd, I'd give it an eight and a half. Obviously, we could have scored a lot more. Uh, but then again, we scored four, so can't complain. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, it was obviously by far our best performance under Tuchel. Arguably, 100%. probably the best this season in general. I think it's, you probably could say the Leeds game under Lampard was probably our best result. But apart from that, I think it's the way our front three play today with Havertz, Pulisic and Mount, especially after Havertz, he had a bit of a poor game against Porto. Um, do you think this is our best front three going forward? Um, it's a very, very good question. I, th- I, think, I think this front three gives uh, Thomas Tuchel everything that he's kind of looking for in a general sort of viewpoint. But there will be the odd game here and there where he may need to tinker and may need a, a different sort of quality from, say, for example, Ziyech or uh, someone like Timo Werner uh, might, might get an opportunity with a team that may play at the high line uh, because of his runs. Timo's runs uh, through the channels are very, very good. Yes, his finishing hasn't been the greatest, but let's not forget his movement is still fantastic. He does get into really, really good juicy situations and his runs are fantastic. But if we look at it from a general point of view, I think this front three is probably what Thomas Tuchel is looking for. And I've always said it, Kai Hev- he's probably not happy with any of our strikers and Kai Havertz probably the only one that comes closest to what he wants up front from a striker. You know, that false nine ability to be able to drop deep and link up with midfield, has that passing ability as well. Hold up is decent, has the ability to score goals in the box and assist as well as we saw today. And obviously we saw that against Everton as well. Um, and then the Pulisic, you know, his whole directness, his ability to, you know, we saw him today uh, attack the far post when the crosses were fizzing in, uh, low crosses were fizzing in. And Mason Mount, at the moment, he's the MVP. He cannot be dropped. So for me, as I said, in a general point of view, this is probably the best front three for Thomas Tuchel. But then again, this is the 
first proper time we've seen this happen. So we want to want to continue to see this front three play quite a few more games to really solidify this uh, this notion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at like Hakim Ziyech as well, I think I, I think he would be very unlucky at the moment because he's been he has been last few games he has played he's been ver- doing very well and obviously yeah. last two games he's been missing tight. I think he'll f- find himself a bit unlucky not to be involved in this game today because, as I said, I was saying to uh, a couple of people on Twitter on comments, it for people like Timo, Tammy, Giroud, looking at this game, how well Havertz, Mount and Pulisic played, when there's not many games left and we need results, as Tuchel said, do you think they're worried about possibly not getting their place back for a while? Look... <sighs> Yeah, they, they they probably need to be worried because you know players like Mason Mount uh, and now Pulisic has been in the upward trajectory before he got injured uh, halfway through that game against West Brom. We were winning with his goal as well. So and Kai Havertz, he's been showing signs. You know since the Everton game, once again he played very well against Leeds as well. Unlucky not to score there. Obviously that odd poor game against Porto, but then again I loved how Thomas Tuchel said. Show me a particular team that has played extremely well against Porto. You won't. You won't be able to show us that because in the group stages, Porto has been very, very good uh, against Manchester City. They only conceded three goals and that was against Manchester City. And, you know, Juventus found it very difficult as well. So I think think these three players, especially Mount, is setting the standard for Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech to catch up. So if I were them, I'd be worried. Um, But not... To the sense where oh, I want to leave the club, I'm so worried I'm not going to see minutes. Not like that. I think it's healthy. It 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 just allows them allows them to lift their game. And healthy competition is brilliant. We're going to still need all of these players till the end of the season. We've got the FA Cup semi final coming up. We've got Champions League. Hopefully, we move into the semi finals there. We've got some big big games coming up in the Premier League to secure top four. So. Be worried, but at the same time, be be excited as well that if you train well and if you put on the performances when you're given the chance, uh, you will be called upon. Yeah, I agree. I think we, we need... I think this is the first time we're starting now to see multiple attackers starting to come into a little bit of form. And I think I think there'll be certain players like Ziyech who have been on good form. And I think they'll probably relish this little bit of competition to try and step up their game but I think you are going to have um, the striker we're going to come on to next Timo Werner I think for me I think he's going to be a little in, in the back of his mind he's going to be a bit worried in terms of he's not exactly getting the goals getting the assists the overall performances his fans are starting a little getting back a little bit are you worried about Timo Werner at all? Um I'm not worried about him long-term as yet. I have mentioned a few times on Twitter that if this continues next season, this sort of, you know, not being able to finish off clear-cut chances up front, then it could become a bit of an issue because, you know, you don't want to harbour a player that gets into such great positions and not being able to finish things. So, look, this season, I'm allowing it because obviously first season, you need a bit of adaptation. He's come from a different country. We, we sometimes forget about the other aspects of football uh, besides being a footballer, you know, the human element, which is important. You know, you, you, you ask yourself, man, you know, if, if someone was to throw you into a different environment, 
different surroundings, you know, different people are around you, it will take you a little bit of time to adjust. So, you know, obviously these guys are professionals and whatnot, but they they are still human beings and it could take people certain times. Yeah, there are the odd exceptions like Bruno Fernandes come in and and that has been magnificent for, for Man United, but it's not always the case. That's not the norm for everyone. Everyone has a different... Uh, you know, uh, a trajectory. So, hoping next season that that all of this stuff we're seeing this season from Timo Werner goes away, and then it, it should be all good. But if we do continue seeing what we're seeing this season uh, uh, onto next season, then then I would be worried. Yeah, I think it's it's just one of them things that not just with Timo but with Kai as well. They've come into a season like no other in terms of. Covid pandemic, no preseason to really get with your teammates and get that good team chemistry together. They're both young players. I know, obviously, Kai is particularly younger, being twenty-one. But Timo, he's still at the age of Tammy Abraham, and a lot of people go on about Tammy Abraham being this young player that we need to um, put in a little bu- uh, bubble wrap and treat him really well. But I think. It, Timo has that. I think really he's at that same level. He's not the finished striker yet. I think for me, I did expect there to be this kind of season that he wouldn't do as well, um, wouldn't bang in all the goals. And I think he is one of them strikers that he does miss the opportunities. He's done it at Leipzig, but eventually mm. he will score enough for you and do enough off the ball to have a great overall performance. I think it's just. I think people have just got to be a little bit more patient. I think when you look back at some of the best strikers we had, Didier Drogba, his first season, it was it was it wasn't it wasn't as good as everyone talks about. And I wonder if Drogba played in this team right now, whether he would get the same slack as Timo Werner does. Because I think I don't know what it is with modern football nowadays, but players just don't seem to get the patience. What do you think? Yeah, look, I don't think. I think it comes with the whole social media side of things and it it comes with education as well, Matt. I feel like a lot of the fans these days, one, they're young. There's a lot of young, the youth is a massive part of the fan base and they just want to see wins and they don't want to see anything else. And sometimes they forget that the finer details and, and yeah, someone like Timo Werner, as you said, he has a lot of other qualities, you know, without talking about the, the goal-scoring stuff, the work ethics. There's a reason why Thomas Tuchel uses him a lot and, and has been using him a lot. Yes, we can argue the fact that had Pulisic been fit, maybe Timo Werner doesn't see that many, that many minutes as he has seen this season. And that might have been a good thing for Timo Werner. But there's a lot of other good things about Timo Werner in terms of work rate. Um, his movement and yeah, the finishing has been an issue in Leipzig as well but over there at least he put away a lot of goals as well he it hasn't been that bad in terms of first season his still goal contribution is pretty good it's just it could have been gigantic it could have been absolutely enormous uh, the goal contribution but you know I think social media in this day and age plays a big part where People, you know, they, they, they want interactions and they want 
you know, to be influencers and they want the limelight on them. So then they go out there and talk about outrageous stuff like that and talk about very controversial matters and they want to be bold with their, with their opinions. And I think that kind of contributes to the whole thing about, you know, not being patient on a player and uh, being, being, being very, very outlandish at times. So, yeah, man, it is what it is. Uh, we are in this new era where, where, you know, social media plays a massive part, but it's, it's upon us, you know, people like yourself, people like myself and many other people to ensure that we are driving the right information in social media as well, that, you know, whatever way we can influence that, you know, whether it be podcasts like what you're doing right now, Matt, whether it be my YouTube channel, whether it be my followers, that we are spreading the right words and making sure that we're doing our part to ensure that players like Timo Werner are, are not, you know, getting getting left aside and that, that we do promote that, just be patient. Yeah, I agree. I think social media, it, it, in the last few years, I feel it's evolved into this very much strange entity of clout, clicking, interactions. Mm-hmm. And these, what was the one thing that's really got my gripe with recently is just the amount of just clear player agendas. And it just feels like, Sometimes I go on Twitter and I think, am, am I listening to Chelsea fans or am I just listening to Timo Werner fans, Jorginho fans, Christiansen fans, Zuma fans, Kepa fans? Because it just seems like certain fans are just so focused on one singular player. Player, well, I just think I've, I feel like I've lost that aspect of people just support the club anymore. I feel like it's just let's see this player do well and then the club's kind of more of a secondary thing. What do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, we, we saw we saw the, the example of this in the last 24 to 48 hours off the back of Thomas Tuchel's press conference talking about Tammy Abraham. I felt that he was absolutely adequate the way he spoke about the situation. I didn't see any malice uh, in that scenario. I didn't see anything to suggest that he's got anything against Tammy Abraham. But social media people out there has just gone into some sort of, you know, absolute pandemonium and then lost their mind and started to question his management and whatnot and started to say, oh, this is total disrespect to Tammy Tammy Abraham. And it made me realise that, as you said, Matt, that, look, I've got no issues with people liking certain players more than others. You know, I'll I'll put my hand up. You know, I like Hakim Ziyech a lot. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm... emotionally attached with him, but I'm not blind at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm mature enough to realise when he plays well and when he doesn't play well. You know, you, you've got a soft spot for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. We all know that. But you're not blind of, of what the situation is. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know that he's on loan in Fulham and he's not doing that great over there. And whether his future is clear in Chelsea, we don't know. So you have no, you know, remorse in saying that. But at the same time, you're proud to, to, to do propagandas for him, which is fine. But there are people out there who blindly will just do propaganda and will not, you know, budge and will not have proper conversations and will not have, you know, discussions about this matter. And that's when I have the issue. I just saw too many people who are banging on about Tammy, you know, being disrespected. He needs more minutes and this and that. And they're, in essence, disrespecting Thomas Tuchel's intelligence. So this man at the, at the moment 
He's been winning games besides that West Brom, which now I'm going to have to say that's an anomaly because off the back of that, he produced a really good performance against Porto. Now he's backed it up with this one with Crystal Palace. We need to just back this manager and just let him do his thing. And at the same time, it's not like Tuchel has not been transparent. He's been as transparent as possible. He's been educating us as much as he can. And it's not like he's hiding things. So, you know, we just we just need to be we need to be very mindful as to when we are representing a player that there is a limit. The club always comes above any any player, and and we need to understand where the club is heading. So, right now, the club is heading in the right direction under Thomas Tuchel, and we just need to trust that. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Obviously, I I do have my um, love for Ruben Loftus-Cheek, but for me, if he doesn't do well at Fulham and the club decide in the summer that he needs to move on, I'll be happy. I'll be I'll be fine with it. I mean, it's the club. I, I feel like obviously it's a club decision. It's a Thomas Tuchel decision. I trust him to make the right decision. And if Ruben goes off and does his things elsewhere, I'll be happy for him because I think he's a really good player. But it, I just feel like cert, certain people nowadays just they let their ideologies on players get in front of the club and I just for me it's just I don't I, n- I never understand it I just feel like ev- you're, you're there to support the team and yes there might be players that you like more than others but at the end of the day you want you want everyone to do well and yeah. you get it's all these comparisons that you get like Pulisic has to be better than hudson Odoi. it's like why can't we just accept that we have two good wingers in the same team, we've got this amazing squad that we have loads of depth. I just, it, it, it bewilders me to just the fact that, especially with the Tammy stuff today, or the last few days, uh, the amount of tweets that I've seen people calling out Thomas Tuchel and yeah. sp- spreading Tuchel out stuff, and they now have, come, I see a lot of people saying, oh, he's now a defensive manager, his style of play is poor, and I'm just like, where where do where do people I just don't understand where people get this from. <laughs> and it's just obviously I know that Thomas Tuchel is never gonna you, get sacked. I'll, I'll, you, I'll just interject for a moment. I'll tell you where people get this from, right? And here's my theory behind it. People get these from the media. Because media play a big part in influencing our mind. The more articles they put out there and, and the more sort of outlandish stuff they put out there, eventually they're gonna get feel that look. I'm sorry to say this, Matt, but this is the honest truth, right? And and I, I don't know how you feel about this. There's a lot of fans who are not... I'm trying to put it in a nice way. I don't want to say the word illiterate because that comes out very, very arrogant and wrong. They're not, let, let's just say, absolutely astute when it comes to thinking about football, right? They see something, they believe it, and they move on. So I've been promoting in the last few days and couple of weeks that don't take anything from the media and just get influenced by it and then start, you know, squabbling stuff that, 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 that may not be right. Okay, read the articles from the media. Go away. Let it marinate in your head for a little bit. Understand the situation. Then come up with your opinion and find out what's happening. For instance, you know, Matt Law, off the back of the Porto match that we won, reported literally within the 90 seconds of full time 
that Kajavets needs to be benched, that Chelsea should do away with all these experiments, that he doesn't believe in a false nine. We need a proper nine. And there's players like Giroud and Tammy, and they're getting disrespected. How do you think he feels after watching this match today and what Kajavets did, right? A lot of people jumped the gun off the back of that article and started slandering Kajavets, started saying that Tuchel doesn't know what he's doing, started saying that Tammy Abraham... And this is what I mean. Do not let all of the... Look, I just want to say that I have, I've got no issues with that article. Fine. You know, Matt Law has written what he had to write and kudos to him for doing that. That's his opinion. Fantastic. What I have issue, Matt, is that people go and look at that and then they just come up to a decision that, yep, Matt Law is correct. That's what I have an issue with. That use the opportunity to take a moment and understand what Thomas Tuchel is trying to do. Tuchel is looking for a particular characteristic in, in, in the striking position and he probably feels that Kai Havetz gives him that, 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 that characteristic that he desires to the utmost level. He feels Kai Havetz is the one that gives him that besides Giroud and Tammy. Yes, Tammy and Giroud have qualities as well, each to their own, but they don't give him that complete package that he's looking for, right? So people need to understand just because Kai Havetz had a poor game against Porto that, that you deviate from the plan. No, the plan is that this is what Thomas Tuchel believes in, and you need to persevere just because you have one poor game, that's it, we're going to rip up the plan and we're going to just try something different now. No, you persevere, you persevere, and you try and polish it to a level that you know that you had in your mind, you know, a style of football that you wanted to play. So, yeah, sorry, man, I just had to interject and say that, that this is how people get, get influenced, uh, as you were saying, you know, you find it like a bit bewildering that why do certain fans do this and i think it's it's media it's media they're just influencing certain parts of the fan base or not taking the time to think yeah i mean that that point the point you made on especially like the matt law stuff it's spot on if i'm honest i think when i always like if i read an article i always as you said i i take a look at it i acknowledge i, I say i have to look at what they say and but i also look at how they're wording it because you can with media a lot of people who work in media are very smart they've they've they know how to write think write things in a specific way to get a specific view out of that thing so you've just got to, i think people are too quick to as you said judge certain articles for me I, I will look at what they say and go hmm let me put that in my mind and then take what another journalist says and you just not sorry to use the pun but Look at the other side of the coin and just look, <laughs> use all your football knowledge and then analyze it all and then get a rationale from that. I think it's, right. it might be, I think for some people it may be harder to do it, but it, it just helps get a fresh sort of mind. I think you get it with transfers, obviously, Fabrizio Romano got his sources, knows everything, but you just find that everyone obviously takes his word as gospel, but sometimes. These these journalists do get things wrong, and credit to Matt Lord. Uh, I saw him tweet today. I praised Kai Havertz, said he showed him wrong, etc. And I like that from a journalist. I like it when they can admit that they've made a mistake. Maybe they've written something wrong, and hmm. that that's that's the basis of part. And what people have got to realise as well: a journalist is a human being. 
they yeah. they are going to have their agendas just like all of us fans like most of them are realistically they are football fans and some of them are fans of the club so they are going to have their inner player agendas obviously with Matt Law there's a certain few that are quite more bit public than others but I think you've just got everyone's got you just got to take the whole bigger picture of it and then formulate your opinion from that and I think it would just save a lot of this rubbish arguments on Twitter you get are just so petty of this player versus this player that player versus this and it would just make I think it would just make the whole fan base just a lot more friendly and a good debate because I think I'm a massive advocate of free spe- freedom of speech you can as long as you're not insulting a player completely trashing him offending him saying anything personal you have the right to say what you want if you think Antonio Rudiger is the worst player on the planet. You you do have your right to say that in a in a certain aspect, but when someone says the other opinion that they think they're the greatest centre back in the world, you have to let the let that let that fan take their opinion. And I think mm. I where I cross the line is where it does start getting offensive. And obviously you have all this out of stu- uh, out of subject of the whole racism. A player plays bad and suddenly he's got thousands of comments of just people being racist and I think that's where you just I, I just I just struggle like with Twitter and most social media now just to for, see just genuine opinions and it, it it's just a bit worrying for me but I just can't wait to get for me back in the stadium and just have a nice face-to-face chat because I just find this it's it's so nice to debate with people uh, especially when you can see him face to face, and even when it's just going out with your friends who fellow fans and just having a good debate like that, I feel like when you're debating with someone with some random avi, you, you sometimes you just feel like you're wasting a bit of your time. Yeah, no, absolutely right, Matt. I mean, you know, today when Pajavets was doing his madness in the beginning, um, I tweeted it out that you know. <laughs> Kaivets is having a laugh, da 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 and I said, Matt Law, are you watching? You know, I, I, I did not, I did not attack him or anything. I just basically said, are you watching because of the back of that article? A lot of people obviously, you know, tagged him and whatnot. Many were fine with it, and none of them were offensive towards him. Um, one or two were, but this is what it is with social media. But few then requoted my tweet and said, oh, look at this guy. He's watching Chelsea game and he's focused on Matt Law. And then I copped a bit of abuse off the back of that. So, you know, I get when, when you know, we have issues with what journalists have to say and whatnot. But I really do get upset when two fans have a go at each other, like, me having a go at a journalist because journalists are professional and they're writing something and you know that's me being passionate about certain things but when two fans are are trying to demean each other i don't really like that that's for me is why we're in the same level what what makes you think you're above me or what makes you think that i i'm above you you know i didn't reach out to this particular person but he's re-quoting my tweet had all of these two or three accounts coming up and abusing me. So I wanted to reach out to him and say, why are you doing that? If you didn't appreciate what I, what I had to say, just don't comment, mate. Just move on. 
you know what I mean? You commenting has then now opened up the floodgates for me to get abused. So, you know, you can turn around and say, well, what were you doing with Matt Law? But once again, I didn't abuse Matt Law. And once again, Matt Law is a professional. So I'm actually having a conversation with a journalist. So, yeah, this is my difference sort of between, I think, I think fans shouldn't do that. But, yeah, with, with, with journalists, yeah, it's a different ballgame. Yeah, I mean, I, I did actually see the tweet that you were talking about uh, during the game. I just, I just looked at it and thought, what, what, what is the need to tweet that? Like, yeah, you don't agree with it, but just ignore the post. If you don't yeah. want, if anything, you're just spreading that your opinion even hey. more. So yeah. You, yeah, exactly. you're, getting more, you're getting more clicks, you're getting more interactions because someone doesn't like a comment. It's just like, if you don't like something, best way to not see it is to... Either if don't you want do anything. mute, don't okay. do anything, or mute the person. But yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I just find it very strange. But anyway, moving on to back to the game and moving into the midfield. What did you think of the Jorginho Kovacic pivot today? Yeah, fantastic, Matt. Honestly, the way they control the game, that first half, the counter pressing was brilliant. Uh, the counter press is something that doesn't get talked about that much. Um, there's a reason why Palace were boxed in. A lot of people will say, oh, but that's Crystal Palace. No, <laughs> any team in the Premier League could get us. It's about how you, you counter that. And the way we box them in is because of our counter-pressing. Not only we were solid with, in, with, with possession, and that's due to Jorginho and Kovacic, and obviously having players like Kai Havertz and Mason Mount and, and Pulisic helps massively. But it's that counter-pressing. Every time we lo- lost the ball, Mason Mount... Uh, Kovacic and Jorginho were all over the opposition to win the ball back straight away. Um, and this is why for the first 45 minutes, bar probably that one chance that Crystal Palace had, they, they were not even in the game. So for me, the pivot once again showed us its immense world-class quality. The thing about this pivot, however, is that you know if we think about long-term scenarios on whether it can win us a league title next season that's where i have an issue i feel like we do need a different characteristic um in the dm role someone to complement kante because at the end of the day you would still want someone like kante in the team uh because of what you know he's a pure ball winner you know he's a pure ball winner so you need someone like like a declan rice or, or maybe a marquinhos alongside kante which, which could then elevate us to be title, title contenders. And then you can still have the rotational sort of attitude uh, with, with Kovacic and Jorginho coming in. But to solely rely on Kovacic and Jorginho for the entire season, I, 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 I think it's good enough to win the top four maybe, but to win titles, you need something a bit more extra. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that point. And I, it was actually the question I was going to ask you about whether... You think Jorginho Kovacic pivot is good enough to win the league? Um, is there obviously you mentioned Declan Rice and Marquinhos? Is there any other defensive midfielders that are on your list that you think would do really well at Chelsea? I'm I'm not a massive guy who goes out there scouting and whatnot because and I'm I'm a family guy. I barely get time to just watch Chelsea stuff and do Chelsea content. But few names were thrown around on my channel by other lads. Uh, besides Declan Rice and Marquinhos, where Dennis Zakaria and and uh, the AC Milan player Frank Kessier. So, and obviously the Monaco player as well, uh, 
Chuchinami, yeah. Um, so these players have been thrown around who could possibly do a very good job. Um, as I said, you, I think we need that type of a characteristic of a DM to allow for Kante to play as well because Kante is not always disciplined enough to, to stay lateral. He does love moving forward. So you do then need someone to, to protect um, the defence. And, and it, it will also allow us to move back into the traditional four at the back as opposed to the three at the back and the wing back. So you know, it'll, it'll be interesting thing to see next season, whether we continue with three at the back, whether we continue with, you know, or whether we sh- switch to a traditional four, two centre-backs and full-backs. Uh, if we do want to... S- get another attacking player and move to the two centre-backs and the full-backs, then I think we need different types of DMs. Yeah, I think all, all the players you mentioned, I think, would do very well for us. I think, for me, apart from a striker this summer, I think defensive midfielder is vitally important for us, especially if we're moving to that um, back four. Um, it just gives us, I feel, that more stability, more variety in midfield, and it possibly could indirectly improve our creativity because it just unlocks us a bit more um but uh we've been joined by our second guest of the pod um josh how are you doing my man i'm doing good man like after a great win i'm happy as you can be like great day yeah yeah um what, what was your overall thoughts on the palace game Perfect, except from the, we didn't get a clean sheet, but that was just a great move from Palace, to be fair. Um, yeah, it was just a great win. It was, it was very, like, brutal the way we attacked. We affected the defence a lot, like Palace's defence. I ain't seen that for us in a while under Tuchel. Um, just being brutal, attack after attack, not stopping. It was it was a fun watch. Yeah, what, what did you think of the... Um front three in terms of Havertz, Pulisic and Mount. Did you really like that combination? Yes, but I think Havertz should have been more clinical and you know how much I like him, but I have to be critical there. Like he was like he had a lot of chance and he weren't clinical enough, but I guess I guess that will come. He reminds me a bit like Berbatov the way he's just so like delicate with his shots and that he just likes placing them every time. Maybe he needs to try a few powerful ones like Vardy. And just smash it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we would, we, me and Miz were just saying about um, people who have uh, not player agendas, but like certain players. Obviously, what I, me, I'm on the Ruben Loftus-Cheek train. Miz is all about Hakim Ziyech. And I know you are very much Mr. Kai Havertz. And the fact that I, I love it how you can, even though you have a, particularly favourite for a player, you, you can really criticise the player as well, which I, that's that's one thing I really like to have as a fan, like to debate as a fan. I think that's um, perfect what you said about the clinicalness. I think he had a brilliant game today, but there were a couple of chances that you think he could have um, taken himself. Um, just before we move on to the defence, what did you think of the Jorginho pivot with Kovacic? I think Kovacic was very underwhelming. I don't know about you, but like, we was in like the final third sometimes and it will go like backwards to a defender that would be much like Benteke. I'm just like, oh, 
I think Georgina had a good game, but yeah, Kovacic, very underwhelming tonight, today. And if I to look at that, I would say you might need another midfielder. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Kovacic was, for me, I don't think Kovacic was exactly underwhelming. I think Jorginho was obviously, I'd say, the better of the two and was a lot more um, aware and doing a lot more. But I think, as Miz was saying earlier on, I think the counter-pressing from both of them together as a unit was absolutely superb today. And I think Crystal Palace could barely do anything apart from that second half when you could argue our legs were going a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think as a, I can understand your point that Kovacic was probably not as not as good as Jorginho, but I think as a team, I think as a two, they played, for me, very good. And as people would know, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly a massive fan of Kovacic and Jorginho together. So to hear me say that is uh, quite a bit. Um, moving on to the defence. Miz, how did you feel the defence played today? I think, you know, it, it, it did what it was offered to do, I suppose. First half didn't really have to do much. As I said, there was that one particular chance that Palace had where Rudika kind of came out of the line and they got behind us. But we, you know, at the end managed that situation. I think it was Aspilicueta with a with a fine sort of um, block tackle of the shot from IU. In the second half, once again, you know, we were very, very solid. You know, Zuma in the middle, I think we were all sceptical. I was definitely sceptical when, when, I, when I saw Zuma in the middle a long time back. But it was a match against Atletico Madrid that changed my view that this guy actually can play in the middle. And, uh, yeah, he may not have the ball-playing ability, but that then allows the responsibility to Jorginho and Kovacic to do all the build-up, uh, and he's far more secure to the back to ensure that the defense comes first. Whereas when Christensen and Silva play, we do rely on Christensen, Zuma, uh, Christensen and Silva to play out from the back a lot more, um, which, you know, at times we do invite a bit more pressure uh, the, from, from the opposition, but at times we do look fantastic. So, you know, with Zuma at the back in the middle, I'm, I'm happy with, but at the moment, obviously, I still prefer Christensen or, or Silva. Um, Aspilicueta looked very, very good in defence today as well. I, I've tweeted it out uh, uh, you know, throughout the match that I don't think I've ever seen Aspilicueta produce anything less than seven. You know, there's minimum seven out of ten performance almost every time from Aspilicueta. So I can completely understand why Tupu came in and, and put in Aspilicueta because he's Mr. Consistent. And Rudiger, I think we need to now appreciate the fact that he is the number one left CB. You know, we've seen Zuma being tried there and he's absolutely felt alien, alienated over there against West Brom. We've seen two other players try that position and hasn't been hasn't worked completely always. Rudiger is the number one left CB. So, you know, together as a as a as a package, the defense was very, very good um, today and has been under Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, um, Josh, what was your overall opinion on the defensive performance today? They didn't really put a foot wrong, wrong set from the goal, I say. Um, maybe Rudiger should have been on the end of Benteke and not Chilwell. Um, that's the only thing I say. But overall, yeah, didn't we only give them that one shot the whole game? So you can't really fault them. And they did score it, but you can't really fault them. We were bound to concede a goal. Well, win a game about 
clean sheet soon. Um, all we really have to say is Aspilicueta probably the standout defender, weren't he? He was unbelievable. It was like Aspilicueta 2017 all over again. He was so good. Um, everything, interceptions, last tackles, everything. He covered, but um, take to what his weakness is defending on the week. He covered for him a lot, really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think, um, obviously, unfortunately, that was the, the only negative part of the game was the goal. Um, Josh, who who did you think was at fault of the goal? Was it just one of them things where the team fell asleep or do you think there was any particular player that you felt could have done a bit better with the goal? I think it was just communication. I think it should be Chilwell in the end of Benteke getting ahead of because Benteke beating him any day of the week. It should have been Rüdiger. But, yeah, it was just a lack of communication. Even Mendy saw after was angry because um, it was Chilwell in the end of Benteke, not Rüdiger. But, it's just one of them. It's just a. It happens. Every defense does it. A lack of communication at one minute it causes a goal. It's just a normal thing, really. Yeah, Miss. What What do you think? Do you think there was anyone particularly at fault, or do you think it was a case of just a bit of miscommunication? Oh, Miss Ida. Oh, sorry, man. I was on mute. Um. Uh, if if you look back on that particular goal and reverse it back a little bit more, you could probably say, oh, should Callum had given a little bit more cover to Aspilicueta to ensure that cross doesn't come in? You can even say that should Aspi been a bit more tighter to ensure that cross doesn't get delivered? And then, as Josh said, you know, should should Ruger had had read that play a little bit better and ensure that he was a lot more closer to to Chilwell and, and give him that support and perhaps make it a little bit more difficult for Benteke to make that header. Um, it's very easy to sit here and just say, oh, that was Chilwell's fault because at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't think putting the blame completely on Chilwell would be right because he was caught flat-footed. Um, the defence in that particular situation were just staggered in a straight line um, and no one was really focused on Benteke's run. So, look, it can happen. These sort of things can happen. The best part is that it only happened once in the match. And, uh, well, sorry, it, 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 the, the first half there was an issue. We, we, you know, we negated it. Second half there was an issue. They scored. So at least it wasn't multiple times like we saw against West Brom. Because when it happens multiple times, that's when it becomes an issue. And then, you know, oppositions, you know, in the Premier League are quality enough to get goals. So, you know, you can you can always bank yourself that the opposition will get at least one or two chances. So, you know, it's it's a matter of making sure that you see them out. And today, in most cases, we did see them out. So I don't want to be overly critical about that situation. It is what it is, and I'm pretty sure Thomas Super will address that. And now I'm 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 hoping we get we get another clean sheet against Porto. Yeah, I mean I agree with both your points. Really, I think. I definitely, when the goal went in, I straight away my first question was, why is Chilwell marking a man like Christian Benzeke? Because he is, he's going to, nine times out of ten, Chilwell was probably going to get beaten, especially with the fact that Benzeke was running in. So he had that kind of momentum with him as well when he's jumping. I did see a couple of comments on Twitter going straight away at Chilwell, and I just, for me, didn't understand it because I think, what, what's the guy supposed to do? Grow 
an mm. extra three or four inches in a matter of seconds. I did mm. think I was. I wondered where was Rudiger at that point. I think Rudy, especially in the, it was quite central that Chilwell's had to come in. I think Rudiger could have been maybe positioned better and maybe marked Benteke. But I also think for me the worst part about it was. I, I get frustrated all the time that we seem just to let crosses go a bit too easy into the box. I feel obviously it was, when looking back at it, it was Kante was kind of running with the uh, Jeffrey Slup at the time, but it just felt mm. like Kante was kind of going through the motions and then had like kind of half-assed uh, attempt at blocking the cross. But I think we we always seem to, I've seen it a lot over the next last two, three years of Chelsea, we seem to struggle to let uh, stop crosses from coming into the box. Do you think that's a little bit of a problem with the Chelsea defence overall? Um, as in, as in crosses coming in, as in us stopping the crosses. Are you talking about defensively? Yeah, defensively, us stopping crosses. Yeah, look, overall, to be honest, throughout Thomas Tuchel's time, I don't think. It has caused too much of an issue as yet. Um, you know, it's interesting that the opposition don't try and penetrate us through the wings a lot more and, and put in those crosses and try and, you know, put a lot more questions on us. But maybe it's just the way we've been counterpressing, which sort of stops the opposition from doing this. But yeah, with the whole Jeffrey Schlopp thing today, it, you know, I'm pretty sure other opposition teams would have probably seen that maybe we need to try and attack those areas to put in those crosses a lot more to to try and rattle their defense a little bit. But yeah, so far it hasn't been an issue from my perspective, Matt. I don't think we've been peppered with crosses by any team so far. And every time we have had that, we've negated it nicely with Christensen or Silva or Zuma. And Rudiger has been quite solid, you know, predominantly. So for me, it's not an issue as yet, but I'm pretty sure soon the opposition will try and will try and see that and try and pepper that situation a lot more. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with your point. Um, you could argue if Frank Lampard ever gets back into the Premier League, with the way he, with the way he used to cross all the time, maybe he'd be our <laughs> worst enemy at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Josh, do you do you agree? Do you think crossing is a little bit of an issue defensively? Um, yeah, like just stopping them from going in. You don't really have the best. Uh, yeah, it's just stopping them from going in because we let them, the crosses happen too much. That's what I would say. We do let, like, even the Porter game, we let a few crosses go in. You know what I mean? Like, we just let them go too much. But I guess you can't stop every cross from going in, but like, we just need to calm it down a bit and like less crosses a game you know what I mean in the box yeah I agree I think it's just that's that's what kind of my point I mean you can't stop every cross but I feel sometimes we just sometimes it's a bit too easy I think maybe it's a thing that we're more confident of dealing the cross dealing with the crosses when they come in and then it's the fact that there's only a couple of opportunities where people have actually scored for them but maybe it could be something we look at in the summer when we've got a little bit more time with pre-season to just try and hone in on all the little kinks in our system that are maybe not doing so well at the moment. But before we go, before we uh, move on to more general Chelsea t- debates at the moment, 
Um, Miz, who was your man of the match for the game? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I've seen Chelsea admin page, I think, have got Mason, or, so, or maybe uh, somewhere I saw Mason Mound won the official man of the match award. I'm not really sure if I'd give it to Mason, even though Mace was fantastic. He was, once again, you know, took, keeps taking his game to different levels. Brilliant assists for Zuma. Um, set pieces are so much better this season with Mason Mount. And overall, you know, he finds himself into nice little pockets in and around the box. Um, you know, had a uh, shooting opportunity uh, which went wide or which I think got blocked in the second half. And his overall intensity is great. But for me, the man of the match probably wasn't Mason Man. I, I might have to give a dual man of the match here between Kajavets and Pulisic because of how tenacious they were throughout the match. Obviously, Pulisic with two goals, his clever movement for the second goal to make sure that he's there in the far post. And, and how many times we've seen crosses like that just fizz through and no one's there in the far post. So Pulisic is, is understanding that role and he's... he's We've seen him a few times where he's making sure that he's there in the far post to clean things up. And Kahevets playing that F- F9 role brilliantly. Yes, he should have scored a hat-trick probably today. He had those misses. But let's not take away the, the package of the game. Um, so for me, I'd probably give it as a dual man of the match between Pulisic and Kahevets. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was Sky Sports that ended up giving Mason Mount the man of the match. And while I think he played well, I think... As you said, I probably would have gone, for me, I would have gone Pulisic just over Havertz. But I think them two would be, for me, the main two that you would look at. Um, Josh, what, who did you think was man of the match? I have to look to my boy, Claire Havertz. He <laughs> <laughs> missed a few. He's my man of the match. Um, every, every touch he had, he was elegant with it. Um, actually, he's just so good to watch, JD. Like, um, you could give it Pulisic. But I say he got the ball less in the game. Maybe you could say I'm wrong, but like, obviously he got the two goals. But he, like, most some of the games were so quiet. Some bit of bits of the game where he saw Kai Havertz, he'll get the attack flowing every time. Every time with the ball, they play it into him, and he'll get it flowing. Um, I, you know the Sky Sports thing. The Mason Mount that shocked me, man. It absolutely shocked me. Yes, he got his assist. Did he get two? I think he had one for the free kick, and I think that was the only one actually. Because I think Reese James had an assist, Callum had an assist. I think it's the English media. I think that's so over Mason Mount. Mason Mount's a great player, and I love him. Like he's one of my favourite Chelsea players. But the media's all over him every time. Every game he gets a man of the match, even if he does nothing in the game. Does the easy passes? That's it. He'll still get my own match. I think that's one of the re- reasons I think he got it. It's just the English media's bias to him. Yeah, I mean, I'd argue if, if there's any agenda you have to try and pull and persuade people, I don't think Mason Mount's really one of them. I think the majority of the fan base is now at least on side with Mason Mount as being one of our most crucial players. So, yeah, I think I understand it was a bit strange. The um, Man and match being given to Mason Mount, but he he did have a good game himself. I'm not, I, I can't I can't deny that. Um, I think it was one of them games that you could say there wasn't really anyone that had a bad game, and it's just really nice to see. Um, just moving on now to the all the gossip that happened over the last 
few days. Obviously, me and Miz touched on it a little bit earlier, but the whole Tammy Abraham saga, Thomas Tuchel's comments, um, should he should he stay, should he go? Josh, what, what, what was your overall reaction on the press conference? Do you think it was a bit harsh from Thomas Tuchel, or do you think it was fair? Um, it was a bit harsh, but I see where he's coming from. Tammy's inconsistent. He's an inconsistent player. He's still got a lot to learn. Yeah, I mean, Miz, um, do you think there's do you think there's a case to say that Tammy Abraham should probably go in the summer, or would you try and keep him at all costs? Um, for me, it's it's really how Tammy sort of sees himself as well. Uh, it, it's a two way street, right? For me, Tammy is not the finished product that is required for us to lead the line in order to win titles uh, in the Premier League or Champions League or whatever other silverware out there, right? But I could, I don't mind having him as a squad player. I don't mind him as, as, as a rotational player, but I'm pretty sure that's not what Tammy wants. Tammy wants to be Chelsea's number one striker. And right now, he does not have the capabilities of doing that. And I completely respect what Josh said, that it was a bit harsh, what Tuchel said. But from my perspective, I don't think it was harsh at all. I think he was just being honest. I think he was just basically saying that, guys, he started three times for me. Twice I had to hook him off because tactically I wasn't getting what I wanted from that position. And we saw why he keeps using Kai Hevets because Kai gives him that. He gives him, gives him exactly what Thomas Tuchel wants from that striking position. And he wasn't getting that from Tammy Abraham. So he was just being honest that I wasn't getting that. And, you know, I'm, I'm all up for Tammy to go and train on that and work hard and show me that at, in training. And then I can give you that opportunity. Obviously, the third one, when he started, he got injured against Newcastle. And, you know, since then, he was a bit injured. And then in recent times, he, he, he got better. But Thomas Tuchel also said that in recent times, we've been winning. So I didn't want to break that break that chemistry of the players having that winning sort of, you know, uh, winning sort of string of matches going on. He didn't want to break that. And it was very difficult. He also said he has a, he has a 22 or 25 man squad. It's very difficult to bring it down to 18 and someone's going to miss out. And right now, unfortunately, Tammy is the one who's missing out. So it's really up to Tammy to go out there and train hard and prove Tuchel wrong. Because I don't think Thomas Tuchel is a particular manager that has, that has vendettas on a particular player or he will shut off a particular player. I don't think he's that type of a manager. He's a manager that is very pragmatic. If you, if you can bring what he needs, he will use you. He's been using... If, if Alonso is getting used, then I'm pretty sure Tammy has every opportunity uh, to, to, to get uh, what he wants to do. But to answer that question, Matt, is it's really up to Tammy. You know, if he pictures himself as a number one Chelsea striker, I'm sorry, you're not going to be that. And you're going to have to move on. But if you can picture yourself as someone who can be a squad player and work yourself up and eventually become a number one Chelsea striker, then I am all up for that. I'm happy for him to stay. But his ambitions at the moment is is incredible. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm probably slightly in the middle of both of you, I think. I see with... I remember reading the first time I read the quotes was from Nizar Kinsella and we were talking about obviously journalists and the way they write stuff. And that, I, I did look at them quotes and I thought, well, oh, Tuchel said that really harsh, hasn't he? But then I, 
I remember I saw your tweet with the um, two mm. two minute clip of the actual what he actually said in the conference, and I I was just amazed of how different it was actually was and just, did, just did. on that Matt just, just on that sorry to interrupt again this is what I was talking about Matt that media has a way of influencing people because a lot of people might not have seen the press conference live or may not have even seen it and they would have seen Nizar Kinsella's summarized version of what Thomas Tuchel said and it kind of made it look like Thomas Tuchel was some sort of a criminal do you know what I mean like he said something outrageous but when you look at that clip you could clearly see what he was talking about. But yeah, carry on, man. Yeah, it was, that's exactly what you were saying. Um, it was just like you could make, you could understand what you were saying, obviously, with the tactical aspects. If you look back at them games, we could all probably agree that Tammy Abraham didn't play well and probably at the probably deserved to come off in a way with them substitutions. Um, and then he got that injury, which, as Tuchel said before, if, you, if you're going to get an injury and you're going to spend time out of the squad, if the squad's playing well, it's going to take you a bit of time to get back into it. It's going to be a bit harder. Like when Tiago got injured, everyone was talking about how good Christensen playing was saying, well, does Tiago actually get back in the team now? And I think that's just the reality of football. It's a healthy debate to have. And I think that's the same with what Tammy Abraham was saying. And I really did like, I think the one bit that people were trying to take out of context was the whole, I don't care about people's Euro chances and that, which in the cruel reality of it, Thomas Tuchel doesn't give a damn whether Tammy Abraham goes to the Euros. He exactly. said he made exactly. he even made the point of Kepa. He said Kepa's yeah. in a similar position in terms of that aspect. Callum Hudson-Odoi was in a similar situation with the injury aspects along with Tiago Silva. So it's not like, I think, Tiago, I think the way Tuchel expressed it as well, he was very honest fair mm. and up front that it's not just Tammy Abraham that's in this position. I think there's a lot of people that are trying to say it's only Tammy yeah. Abraham that's getting this. But I think the the underlying principle of Thomas Tuchel is if you work hard in training, you'll get a chance on the pitch. I don't, I'm not saying that Tammy hasn't worked hard, but I think he's had a bit of a tough time. Maybe he's not exactly what Thomas Tuchel wants. But that you've got to work, in that way, you've got to work that extra 10% to proven wrong and obviously getting the injury was a bit unfortunate but I think for me Tammy just has to get his head down work as hard as he can for the rest of the season try and get some games I think he will get some games at some point I think the Brighton game will be a key game that he may look to play in um, especially after having the Porto games Man City and then if we do get to the semi-final we'll be having Champions League games in between that Um so yeah, I think it's it's just a. Uh, he's got to try his best, and if 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 it comes to the summer, he's obviously you have two years left, so it's always that kind of thing. You go, are you going to stay and sign a new contract, or do we look to sell you on? If he says, I don't want to be a squad role player, I want to be a starter, I want to go elsewhere, then for me, I just think that's fine. We'll go. We'll try and get as, the best we can out of you, money wise. I think for me, depending on who the buyer is you could get up to about 50 million, especially with the English tax, young player, England international. I think you can get that money. And what we can do is that will just go to the Haaland money or whoever we want to get as our main summer targets. And it can improve the team. I think people just need to, again, as I said before, look towards the greater good of the club rather than the good of one singular player. Um, 
Josh, what do you think? Um, I don't really know what to say, really. Like, honestly, at this point, what do you Wait, think? Um, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Yeah. So, um, Miz, um, moving mm. on a little bit slightly. Um, obviously, you've got the Harlan talks as the over talked thing and every day it's different things so we won't talk too much about Haaland because obviously I'm sure you would you're you like every Chelsea fan would want Haaland at this club but mm. for you who is your alternatives if you can't get um Erling Haaland in I know you are a big fan of Dominic Carvert-Lewin so I will press you on that <laughs> a little bit but who, who, who uh, do you think is good enough to be a replacement for Haaland yeah, yeah look right now Right now, there's quite a few strikers uh, that have shown some sort of interest that they do want to have a move. Obviously, Lukaku is one who I think, out of all the strikers that we've been linked to, um, Lukaku is one who's who's shown that he truly wants to come back to Chelsea. You know, he, he wants he he has this extra love for the club. It's not just about unfinished business or anything like that. It's more the fact that. I think he just wants, he feels Chelsea as home and then he wants to come back and he wants to do well. Um, obviously, in recent times, he's flirted around with Drogba with this particular scenario on Instagram. And um, yeah, that he would be a fantastic alternative. Harry Kane is going around saying that, you know, in the Athletic, uh, they, they've, they've got an article up that Harry Kane is adamant that he wants to leave Spurs if Spurs don't get top four. And even if they get top four, He's had a situation in his life where he wants to win trophies and he thinks that he's got the quality to do that. I completely understand that because Harry Kane is probably the number one striker in the Premier League and probably one of the top three strikers in the world in world football at the moment. Um, but I don't know whether we will ever be able to do business with Spurs. But, you know, if we are somehow able to do some sort of business with Daniel Levy and, and you know, Roman and whatnot and try and get to a middle ground and prize someone like you know Harry Kane in our team wow that we we've instantly become title contenders with Harry Kane in our team um and uh yeah as I said Dominic Calvert-Lewin but I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a very very far-fetched situation I don't think we link with him at all but I think he would be a fantastic alternative as well I think I think him He's, he's, he's more of an upgrade to, for me from, from Tammy Abraham. His aerial ability is far superior to Tammy Abraham's. Um, his ability to link up, his ability to hold up, you know, the way he plays in and around with Richarlison and James Rodriguez is a lot better than what Tammy does. And this is not disrespect to Tammy. Tammy's a very good player. I'm just saying that Dominic Alvaloon is probably a tad better and his trajectory is a bit more, bit more upward at the moment. Um, so, yeah, these are some alternatives. I wouldn't entertain anyone like Aguero because I feel like they are coming to an end of their career. But now the whole situation with Kai Havertz puts a bit of a spanner because if Kai continues to do well in that F9 position and looks like that is probably where he looks the most comfortable, then we need to think about, well, does Kai become the top dog up front? And then we just have some rotational players like Giroud, and Timo Werner can fill in that spot when needed. 
Um, and then the whole conversation becomes, well, do we spend that money getting getting a defensive midfielder and I don't know, maybe maybe another centre back, definitely a defensive midfielder. So look, I'm not really sure how possible it is going to be for us to get Haaland. As much as I love Haaland, I, want, I hope we do get him. I'm not really sure how possible it is now to get him because I feel like he's got his eyes set in either City or someone like Real Madrid. Or I'm not really seeing enough big rumours that he's keen to come to Chelsea. You know what I mean? As much as I think Roman can splash the money, but it's the, the player has a say as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of your um, uh, targets. I think, um, for me, Dominic Carvert-Lewin, I think he would be a good signing for Chelsea, but I would be a bit hesitant to get him this summer. I think he's done very well this season. Um, cause my, my cousin's an Everton fan, so I've had a lot of the last four years, he's, he's been saying, oh, Dominic Carvert-Lewin, he's this great striker. I've never normally really seen it until this season. So I think for me, I'd, I, I'd probably take a little look and a step back and think, well, can he do it next season? And can he put up the same numbers, good performances and improve on his game? And then maybe that next summer, I'd look at him and go, yeah, he'd be a really good signing for Chelsea. But I think maybe that would be a little bit too premature for Dominic Carvalhoon, but it would be a good signing and a good it wouldn't be as good on Haaland, obviously, but it would be a good B option. Um, yeah, in terms of Harry Kane, Lukaku, I think people probably know my little grievances with Lukaku. I think for me, he just simply, I know he's played well in Serie A, but I think it's more of a, he's suited to Serie A as a player. The league suits him in terms of how more slow it is. It's a quite physical league. And I think he still, if he came to Premier League, I think he would still struggle in them big games. Obviously, my girlfriend, she's from, she's from Belgium, so I have watched quite a bit of Belgian football over the years and spoke to a lot of Belgian fans. Um, and they've all said the same thing about Lukaku. Like, when it comes to the big stage, he just doesn't show up, and that's why the Belgian team mm. sent, seem to always falter at the World Cup or the Euros. So I think, especially with the fact that quotes of 120 million are made i feel like there's better you could i'd rather pay the extra for harland or do the extra hard work and get a harry kane i think that harry kane rumor i think it's it i think he, he just even if it will be hard to get uh talk to levy get him out but i think harry kane needs to leave and i think if it's a question of harry kane's mentality if he is happy to stay at Tottenham for another season because he mm. at, at at the level Harry Kane is he could he could be he's going to be he's probably going to smash Wayne Rooney's England record for goals mm. he's probably going to be one of the highest Premier League goal scorers of all time so to have all that stats and not probably not win a single trophy in your career it just puts a bit of downness I think for his own career he's got to make the decision to go elsewhere and I think. You you look at clubs again. There's not many clubs that would be able to afford Harry Kane. I think if you're going to look at somewhere, maybe it's a United signing that Harry Kane goes there. But I think Harry Kane would suit us down to a T. I think the only issue would be the two month injury that he always mm. gets. But 
I think we've got we've got the likes of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, so we can work around that if it does happen. I yeah. think we need to just build a squad, and I think Harry Kane or an Erling Haaland would really, really do well in our squad and really make us that top top level. Um, Josh, what do you think? Is there any? Do you think we'll sign Haaland? And do you think there's who? Who are your options that you'd like to see? It? This Haaland sub is going to be taking long. If it drags out too much, I'll, if I was Chelsea, I'll look at backup options. Yes, Lukaku, but I do not rate him for Premier League. I don't think his touch is there. I don't think his link-up plays there. Would he suit us? Um, a striker, you guys might not know, but Ralph Sociedad, Alexander Isaac, I like him a lot. He can link up. He has the pace. He has the finishing too, but is he too young to make the step up? Maybe, maybe not. But if we can't get a striker, oh, I would legit say get an inside forward winger who will get the goals, create the goals, create chances, who Kai Havertz can play off. You know what I mean? Like you can have Pulisic on one wing if we're going to go back to like four, three, three or something, and then another winger on the on the other wing linking up with Havertz. You can get goals, who's good at finishing. There's much more options. Like you would say, like a Pedro Neto, a Rafina, a Jaden Sancho, etc., who would link up and can finish with both feet. If, if you get what I'm saying. Um, really, I don't know what we're going to play next season, but if we can't get a striker, it's either has to be a winger, in my opinion, or focus on the defensive side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your point. Um, it was actually going to come on to the next point that I was going to say. Um, in terms of Kai Havertz, he obviously he's shown his signs that he can play false nine quite well, and he showed it at Bayer Leverkusen. That was arguably one of his best positions. But do you think if we can't get Haaland, if we can't get Lukaku, if we can't get Harry Kane, do you think in the long term... Can Kai Havertz be our leading striker? Uh, Josh, obviously, your Kai Havertz is your favourite man, so I'll let you take the stage of this. Do you think Kai Havertz can do it over a long term at Chelsea as a striker, first choice? He has he has all the minerals to do it. He has all the ability to do it, but can he play against a physical defender? Maybe he might need to bulk up a bit, but not bulk up too much because that's his style. He's elegant. He moves nicely. He can't bulk as much that it will ruin his movement. But maybe like grow a bit of muscle so he can battle with defenders. But in my opinion, yeah, that role that role would be perfect for him. Hundred percent perfect. His link up. He's got the head and ability. We ain't seen it much this season, but when he, he has that space, he can win that header. Maybe if he bolts up a bit, as I said, he can fight a defender and win a header over them as well. So yeah, in my opinion, that striker role he could do well in, but. If we can get Haaland, you have to get him. Like surely you just do. Yeah, Miz, what, what do you what do you think? Do you think uh, Kai Havertz can be a long term striker option? Yeah, look, I think we have seen enough this season already from where he started from the Everton match, where he was incredible. Uh, Leeds, as I said, was another very very good match, even though we drew. But his movement and his uh, contribution is strong there and obviously he so he has shown enough for us to believe that he can do that 
whether he can do it in a consistent basis is a different story. And this is something that today Kai Havertz came out after the match. And he said that, yeah, it's very easy to sit here off the back of this match where I played well and to say that I'm back. No, I need to play five, six games like this in a row in order for anyone to say that I'm back. So this guy is that humble that he realizes that it's not good enough by playing one game like this and to claim that he's back. So I like that attitude. I really like when, when a player can be self-aware of their own sort of critiquing themselves, basically. So I like that. So there's, as I said, there's enough indication that Kai Havertz can do that. Now, as Josh said, <laughs> if there is an opportunity to lock someone like Alan, you don't miss out on that opportunity. You try and get that. But Chelsea needs to understand the long-term vision because if you do get Haaland, then what do you start doing with Havertz? Do you play a different formation? Do you have Havertz playing just behind Haaland? Because then you would need to play something like a 4-2-3-1. Do you know what I mean? So that will go away from your, from your three at the back. So this then comes back to what Tuchel said just in the last 24 hours, that now is probably not the time to look into you know, what sort of personalities or what personnel are required next season, you know, what kind of formation that we want to set ourselves up for in the long run. Now we just need to be focused on the, the targets that we need to achieve this season. And it seems like the formation is three at the back. And it seems like Kai Havertz is probably going to be the one leading our striking situation. We just need to back it next season. I'm pretty sure Thomas Tuchel will go back to the boardroom and he'll sit down, he'll talk it all out and figure out a plan what, what is, which is sustainable for the long run. I personally think Kaivitz can do it, but you know, how can you get, you know, how can you get rid of someone like, get, get, you know, not be interested in someone like Halal? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think we've got to have a Tuchel's got to have a big think about it and go what does he want from each player because I think there's a lot of different ways that we can play we can mm. mold this team into I think it's just what does Tuchel really want and I think the board have got to realize we've got to back him this year we've got to back Tuchel pretty well and even if it's not his players you need to get his style of players you need to get a style that can even if Tuchel does go it can be translated to the next manager just to fit in and keep this bunch of players and really do mount a lasting legacy and a Chelsea way if anything um, I think that was, that's the next step for this club and I think we have got a really good potential to get that going um, just before we do uh, finish up I just want to press both of you on just a prediction for the next few games going on um josh how do you think the games are going to go at porto and then the semi-final at manchester city porto i'd say we'll win the game 2-0 it'll be another 2-0 4-0 altogether um man city um i would say i can see that going extra time 100% 100% extra time. Will it go to penalties or just a winner in extra time? So far, I just see it going extra time. I see it being a very tactical game where they'll be trying to outsmart each other. 
Yeah, so do you, do, you, do you think we will get through in the semi-final or do you think we will just miss out? You have to be, you have to be like, believe in your team. So, yeah, I say what well, I believe in Tico. Good man, Josh. Good man. Um, Miz, how do you think the Porto and City games are going to go? Yeah, um, I would be very, very surprised if we don't see the Porto situation through from here on in. I mean... We got two away goals, so yeah. Can Porto score? They showed signs that they can penetrate us. So yeah, I completely see if if they can score one, but to to score two and for us to not score anything back, I don't know, man. I, I really can't see that happening. So I do believe and hope that we will go through there. Um, it'll just be a task bit too much for Porto. I'm, I'm hoping. Man City is going to be the test for us, the biggest test to see exactly where this team is at. Yeah, we had that loss against West Brom, but we were winning 1-0 and then we had the red card. So if all of that didn't happen, I don't think West Brom gets away with that win. Uh, And the way we capitulated after the red card was uncharacteristic as well. So Man City will be the biggest test as to where this team is at. Um... Man City lost against Leeds, so they are going to obviously do their level best to go past Dortmund, who I think were very unlucky to not to get something out of that match against City. Billingham's goal was a clear goal, and overall they defended well, and um, they probably could have equalised, but obviously City's you know, talent and, and quality at the end took them over the line. I think if City, I think it'll be a tough game, man. I'm hoping we go through, but I, I just I, I can't make a prediction on that match because as much as I want to say as a Chelsea fan that, yeah, we'll go through, but that will be the toughest test for us. So if we, if we don't go through, Matt, I'm not going to sit here and cry about it because we are still trying to bridge the gap between City. Next season is where you can tell, ask me, you know, what do you think? And I'll put my chest out and say, yeah, we should be beating City. This season is very difficult, and, and I'm not going to be tuckle out if we lose against City. Uh, but I am hoping that we do produce a good performance. But I guess Porto, I do, I'm hoping that we go through. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's going to be a very interesting test. And I think no one should be disappointed if we lose to a Pep Guardiola team because this, as, as he does every season, he produces wonderful teams. In terms of what I think, I think Porto, I think, will win 2-1. I think they will score. And I actually think they're going to score first. And it will be a bit more of a panic all stations. But I think Chelsea will have a have the grit to get through it. Um, and then the Man City game. I just, I, I, I'm just feeling that little bit of confidence. I think it's going to be one of them games where we, as Josh said, it'll be tactical. I actually don't think there's going to be any goals. I reckon we're gonna just—it's gonna be one of them things that we just both cancel each other out tactically. We get to penalties, and then we just sneak through on penalties. It'll be a great thing if we do that because getting to another FA Cup final will be great for this club, and hopefully we can go all the way this time. Um, but things are looking up for Chelsea, and things are looking up for this podcast, and that does end the podcast for today. I just want to f- first thank you, Josh, for coming on. 
No worries. I mean, you come on in the end, so that's that's all we ask for. And Miz, thank you for coming on uh, the pod for the first time. We hope to have you on again many times more. Um, just tell the viewers where they can find your stuff online. 100%, man. It's been a pleasure coming on. Honestly, had a really good conversation, Matt. We've been trying to organize this for a while now, um, and it's finally happened. Um, yeah, guys, you can find me on the YouTube channel. Literally just type the other side of the coin, or you could find uh, the link of it on my Twitter page. Uh, once again, just type the other side of the coin or at T-O-S-O-T-C underscore C-F-C, which is abbreviation of the other side of the coin, and you'll find it and you'll find all the links there. So, yeah, you can can, uh, catch me on on all of those social media platforms. Fantastic. I mean, everyone go subscribe to Miz. Miz is, he does some brilliant shows every day. He's doing live streams with many different guests. He also does a show with Mar and Eunice, which is, it's one of the best shows I've seen in a Chelsea channel, so it's it's great to see. And yeah, we'll stay tuned. We'll definitely get Miz back on again, and we'll get we've got a number of guests coming on uh, for as the season comes to a close. But let's just hope we can get a good result against Porto and City, and come back again next week smiling again. Thank you, guys.